This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. On episode nine, we are speaking to physiotherapist Juliette Sargent all about pelvic pain. Juliette has been specializing in pelvic health treatment through her own physiotherapy practice, as well as at the Saskatoon City Hospital for almost two decades. She has undertaken a great deal of continuing education in pelvic health. She has previously been the chair of the Women's Health Division of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association, and she also helped develop the provincial pelvic floor and prostate pathway to ensure that physiotherapy remains an integral part of pelvic health management. Also, we are doing things a bit differently today. We have been getting feedback from listeners that episodes are too short and only scratching the surface of some topics. So we are going to try a longer episode to see how it goes. For those of you who don't know what pelvic pain entails or what a pelvic floor even is, you are going to learn a ton in this episode where Juliet also provides us an amazing introductory primer on what exactly pain is and the role our brain has to play in pain management. Juliet, can you explain to our listeners what is pelvic pain? That's sort of a broad term when we say the word pelvis. So can you walk us through what exactly this means and maybe tell us a little bit more about the pelvic floor as well? Okay, uh, sure. Yeah. So um, first of all, um, I, I've taken the time to listen to all of the different episodes of your partners in pain. And I just want to say what a great job you're doing as an interviewer. And I've really enjoyed listening to both the healthcare providers and um, more actually importantly, those who are living with um, chronic pain. So I, I think that you deserve a lot of kudos for that. And you're doing such a fantastic job. The one thing that I didn't notice, and so I was wondering if it's okay if we could go into today was like how pain is actually like, what is pain? Um, Because I think we all have, we've all experienced pain, but we don't necessarily understand like what's actually happening in the body. So if you're okay, then I will go ahead and, and do that. Yeah, we would appreciate that for sure. I know there's lots of listeners that there's some confusion around that, even in terms of things like muscle soreness versus like that acute pain. So please. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. So the first thing, which maybe a lot of your listeners know, especially if they've been living with chronic pain for a long time. Um, but some people might not know. So pain is actually 
produced in the brain, not in the body. So for a lot of people like this is super surprising because they think that um, their pain is really proportional to the tissue damage that is happening. Um, so there's really only three ways that our body can um, be injured. So there's a chemical injury. So that would be from like acid or alkali that's, you know, damaging the tissues there's mechanical. And that's what we're most familiar with. So like somebody punches me and I get a big bruise or I have a broken bone or whatever, or maybe I walk into a door that might've happened recently. <laughs> um, um, or, um, or there's thermal. And I think all of us in Saskatchewan, like know what a thermal, um, uh, injury is. We've all probably had sunburns, or at least I have like my whole life. Cause I'm like Anglo-Saxon origin and, um, and, or there's frostbite, right. And like how cold can uh, affect the body. So the brain needs to know about, um, tissue damage. And so what ex ends up happening is prostaglandins, and inflammatory mediators are, re are released in the tissue that's damaged. And then those um, mediators and prostaglandins um, attach to a nociceptor. And a nociceptor is, we used to call them pain uh, nerves, but they're really actually not pain nerves because they don't um, relay pain. They relay danger. And so they're the nerves that relay danger. And so they can convert these signals into an electrical signal. And that goes to the spinal cord and then up to the brain. Um, but the important thing to know is that the brain and the spinal cord are not passive in this process. So they're really like taking this information of danger and then putting into some kind of context. So the first thing that they might look at it, or the, our brain is probably looking at is where is this pain? So if I have shoulder pain, for example, um, you know, I might be familiar with my shoulder pain um, and I understand that other people might have shoulder pain, but if I get pelvic pain, um, this is a really kind of unknown region for me generally. And then all of my biologic, my basic biological processes are happening here. So I excrete urine, I have feces, my procreation, like sex is all happening in this area. And so it's very important that we protect this area. Uh, and we really don't understand it that well. So shoulder pain, um, may, ah, okay, it's painful, but it's okay. Whereas pelvic pain, it's the alarm bells are going off because how am I going to function, um, on a daily basis, maybe with this, um, the other thing is, have I experienced this before? So maybe like every time I go play tennis and I play tennis for like more than an hour, you know, my shoulder hurts, but I know, you know, last time I experienced this, it went away in a day. So I'm not worried about it. Um, so that past experience is super important. Or if it was a terrible, terrible experience, I, you know, I had surgery and then I got an infection after my surgery and now blah, blah, blah. And like, it's been a bad experience. Then our brain interprets that as well. Um, and then the other thing is context. So context is like, how is this happening in relation kind of to my life? So, um, we could imagine, um, Canada played Honduras last night, um, in the soccer game. It was fun to watch, but you know, I get super annoyed with all those soccer players who are like, they get pushed over and then they're like practically like bawling on the field. There's all these like shenanigans that are happening. And um, there's that's the context of the soccer game. But if you look at a football game or a rugby game, if somebody was um, experienced that same force, 
they're like have to pick themselves up off the pit or the, the field and they're back moving again. So context is, is super important. Another one that might be a little bit closer to home is like, I wake up in the middle of the night because my baby's crying and I step on some Lego. And I don't know if you've ever stepped on Lego, Alexandria, but I have. It sucks. It, it, ain't, it ain't pretty. But if your baby's really sick and you're like super worried about your baby, the Lego might not even really like register, right? Um, but if this is a kid who's been up, this is the fourth time tonight, and there seems to be no reason why you're waking me up, and I had this important meeting tomorrow morning, and I'm super pissed, that um, Lego may really hurt. So context is um, is another thing that's uh, uh, really important in our experience of pain. Um, and then the last thing is kind of our mind and our emotions. So if we think about, say, anxiety or depression, um, our mental health can uh, directly affect our physical experience of pain. Um, you know, there's been studies where they look at pre um, preoperative anxiety. So somebody's going for a surgery and they, um, if they're super anxious about it, they're more likely to experience most po more postoperative pain than another individual who's not that worried about their surgery. So our mental state, our mental mind, our mental health can really have um, a big difference. Um, and I guess the last thing I'd like to talk about just generally about pain is pain is meant to be an alarm system. It's meant to alert us that there's something wrong. Um, but it's not necessarily that specific. If there is actually like some tissue damage or something's going on, where we experience the pain may not be totally accurate. And the one, like the one example that's like, I think everybody understands is if I'm having a heart attack, I might feel chest pain, but I might feel jaw pain. I might feel shoulder pain or arm pain, and I'm not feeling it in the chest. We know that that person is having a heart attack and the damage is happening in their heart, but that pain can be, um, can be felt somewhere else. So um, cancer pain is also the same. Um, it's quite general. You don't necessarily know what organ or where that, that, um, that dysfunction or disease process is. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of the overview of pain. I hope that's helpful for people to, um, to understand, um, how pain is experienced in the body and it doesn't necessarily, uh, correlate with the tissue damage. Um, and then we can also break up pain into acute pain and chronic pain. And so most listeners here are probably experiencing chronic pain, which is why they're listening, uh, to this podcast, which is um, great that this is a resource, but anyway, so I'm just going to quickly go over acute pain. So this is where there is actual tissue injury um, and, you know, say a broken bone, a cut, whatever. Um, and then as that injury, injury heals, then um, the pain goes away. And um, the analogy that that is quite helpful for some people is to imagine um, that, you know, you're at home, somebody crashes into your car, your car alarm goes off. You go outside, you see somebody has crashed into your car, um, you figure out what the problem is, you get it fixed, and then the alarm goes off. So that's kind of how pain works in our bodies um, with acute pain. Um, with chronic pain, however, the car alarm keeps going off, right? It, it doesn't shut off or it might shut off for a little while and it goes back on. So you take it back in and you say, hey, what's wrong with my car? And this is like the person who goes for the CT scan, goes for the MRI or the x-ray or whatever. And, um, and then each specialist 
gives you a different diagnosis. So uh, I, um, some people, um, you know, might experience this very often, right? So you go to the orthopod and he looks at your x-ray and says, oh, well, there's might be a little bit of degeneration in the spine. So maybe we should, you know, do some surgery and then they do the surgery. And so that's kind of like, okay, the dude says you got to change your spark plugs. So you change your spark plugs, but the, you know, the problem doesn't go away. Um, you go to the next guy and he wants to change your timing belt and no one is ever, or oftentimes people aren't uh, talking about the faulty wiring in the car. And if we think about, you know, the nervous system that we just talked about, that um, nervous system is often where we really need to kind of get into and um, try and calm things down and, uh, and address it from that point of view. So that's kind of the chronic versus uh, acute pain. For sure. Well, and as you're giving us like this amazing overview, thank you so much for walking us through all of that. Cause yeah, as you said, this isn't something we really delved into um, in any of the episodes. Cause I think we have the assumption that if you're here listening to the podcast, you know what pain is, but this is an amazing resource for so many people. So thank you, Juliet, for giving us all that information. And as you're walking through that, I'm, I'm literally thinking about my own experiences particularly, which are pelvic pain. Some listeners will already know that, but you know, it started with what I thought was UTIs and there's so many systems going down there. All I knew was that it hurt when I went to the bathroom, but I think I saw seven or eight people before anybody even said the word pelvic floor to me. And it was just a very bizarre experience. And then I had started fearing it. The neural pathways were already in place. And what do you do from there when it gets to that chronic state? So if we can bring that back around again, pelvic pain, what area tell us more, because this is such a sensitive topic. Like, as I said, I didn't know like what a pelvic encompasses, like how so many systems are connected. Just kind of give us an overview of what, you know, and see in your practice around pelvic pain. So um, the International Pelvic Pain Society has a, an actual definition of what chronic pelvic pain is. And so this is pelvic pain that lasts for more than six months and occurs in the pelvis or the lower abdomen. So even the word pelvis for some people, they don't know what that is. So that is that bony structure at the bottom of your spine where your hips attach. Um, that's the pelvis. Um, so Anyway, and sometimes um, when a person experiences chronic pelvic pain, sometimes the reason isn't obvious and um, there may have been a problem initially. So sometimes people might have experienced a UTI, which is a urinary tract infection, um, just like you mentioned, and then that's gone away, but somehow that pain has stuck around. So that can happen for some people. Um, we know that pelvic pain is more um, common in women, and that makes sense because women have periods for starters, um, and they have babies and get pregnant. And so there's all kinds of changes that happen in their bodies throughout their life cycle that are, are, um, not the same experience for those, uh, for, um, for men, men can experience pelvic pain. Uh, it's often called chronic a bacterial prostatitis, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, so I'm not sure like, and then basically it's because a lot of doctors think, okay, if there's pain or problems in the male pelvis, it has to do with their prostate. And so prostatitis would be inflammation of the prostate. Um, a bacterial means actually there's no bacteria in the prostate. So we don't really know why it's sore, but the reality is, is that 
half the time there's no problem with the prostate. Um, so anyway, but men can experience pelvic pain as well. But as you mentioned, there can be a lot of other systems that can be involved in pelvic pain. And so if we look at the bladder, they might, ex- a person might experience, um, not able, able to empty the bladder properly. They may be, um, having a really strong urge to pee, but when they get to the bathroom, the urine doesn't want to flow, or they may have to go to the bathroom super often. And it's really, really urgent. Like they have to go right, right now. Uh, Some people might experience urine leakage. um, And there's also a condition called uh, interstitial cystitis, which is um, a kind of a, um, a bit of a controversial diagnosis um, because sometimes there's a problem in the bladder with those folks, but oftentimes there isn't. And maybe it's just actually chronic pelvic pain that they feel there's, but they feel their symptoms in the bladder. There can be issues with the bowels, constipation, um, symptoms of irritable bowel. Uh, there can be incom- uh, pain with emptying the bowels or not emptying properly. And then, as I mentioned earlier, our sex organs are in the pelvis, Right. And so um, people, women um, can experience pain with penetration. So when they're having um, penetrative sex, they can have pain Um, or in um, both sexes, there can be pain with uh, during sex, after sex, uh, pain with orgasm, all those kinds of things. Um, So uh, that's kind of what uh, overall kind of pelvic health uh, can um, uh, it can, uh, for those with pelvic health, they can experience that for sure. There are so many different diagnoses, um, that are associated with pelvic pain. Like I know myself, I probably got 12 to 15 different pelvic pain diagnoses, um, things like endometriosis as well. There's just, there's so much happening in that entire area, which is why education about it is so important. But I feel like, again, that sensitive area, not a lot of people have keen interest or specialization in it. And nobody really wants to go to their doctor to say, Hey, like it really hurts when I pee or I can't have sex with my partner because it's excruciating. And it's just, it's such an uncomfortable topic and there's lots of taboo around it. So I appreciate that you're here to educate us. So with all these different pelvic pain diagnoses and issues uh, that you're mentioning previously, what role does physical therapy have? Like, I'm not sure if you get a lot of patients who are just being prescribed medication for pain management, like so many other pain conditions are, but it seems like this is such a complex area. So what sort of techniques or methods or modalities are you employing to help a patient with? Okay. Well, first of all, I'll just briefly touch on those with acute pain. Um, that's not um, going to be uh, the majority of uh, those listening, but you know, um, for those with acute pain, it might be um, from childbirth is oftentimes the one, or maybe um, from a vasectomy or from um, like a prostate uh, removal for cancer. Some people might have acute pain there. And so we might be working on scars and, uh, and things like that. Um, So just kind of mobilizing the tissues and that kind of thing. But for the most part, I know we're talking about chronic pain. So, um, uh, so I think, first of all, we need to remember that those experiencing um, chronic pain, persistent pain, they're going to be moving their bodies differently. So they may be guarding. Um, so when I talk about guarding and you're, if you have chronic pain, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's like taking in a posture that helps to protect you, helps to minimize or alleviate the pain um, that over time can become problematic in and of itself because you're in this maybe um 
atypical or like kind of uncomfortable positions. So there's that guarding that can happen. People with pain don't want to move their bodies. Right. And so then there's that whole decrease activity. Um, and so other parts of their bodies can get sore. Um, uh, there's also mental health concerns. So those, uh, with pain, even if they didn't have mental health concerns before, now they can't do their regular things, right? Maybe they can't go to work. Maybe they um, can't have sex with their partner, like whatever the case is. And so now their anxiety is going through the roof or they keep getting these diagnoses and their anxiety is going up or their depression or whatever. Um, and then lastly, like as we, we, we touched on earlier, then there's changes in their nervous system. So there's that sensitization. Our nervous system becomes more sensitive to those signals that are coming in um, and kind of passes those danger signals up to the brain more readily. Um, so if we think about that, um, that's the person who's presenting in my clinic, right? They're walking in, there's all kinds of things that are going on. Um, but first of all, like, I'm a physio, like that's what I was trained to do. And so I, you know, look at movement as a whole, how's a person moving. Um, I'm looking at like all the different parts of the body. So we want to look at the musculoskeletal system. That's kind of as physios, that's kind of our, our bread and butter, but, um, but really we can't interact with the body at all without thinking about the nervous system or the vascular system as well, our, um, our blood flow. Um, so uh, really my goals with somebody with uh, persistent pain is really to try and calm the nervous system down. We want to decrease inflammation and we want to improve self-awareness, right? Because oftentimes a person isn't aware of that guarding posture. Uh, when we think about guarding, we're increasing muscle tone. And so then, uh, you know, per, uh, particular to, um, pelvic health, and you alluded to this earlier, there's the pelvic floor. And so for those people who aren't familiar with the, what the pelvic floor muscles are, these are also known as Kegel muscles or Kegel muscles. You may have heard of do your Kegel exercises or that kind of thing. Um, actually, which as an aside drives me crazy that there's people who come in with pain and their doctor has told them to do their Kegel exercises to like, let's already. That was me. That was definitely me. Couldn't figure out why I was getting worse. Kegels didn't help, but we'll, we'll get into that. Well, the Kegels would not help. So the pelvic floor are these muscles at the base of the pelvis as, and that's why they're called the pelvic floor. And they help to control bowel bladder. Uh, they're involved in our sexual response. They move as we breathe. And so these are dynamic muscles that are, that we're using throughout the day, whether we like it or not. But those in, in pain, oftentimes those muscles start to tighten up and tighten up and tighten up and tighten up. So then they don't move. And if you think about tight muscles in other parts of your body, they start to hurt, right? And you think about like a person who's got um, tension in their shoulders, in those traps, those trapezius muscles um, uh, on the top of their shoulders, and they'll talk about a headache. So they're not necessarily talking about shoulder pain or trap pain. They're talking about headache. And that's what can happen in the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor can start to refer pain. We talked about that also with the heart, referring pain to other places. And so we can have pain in the testicles or in the labia or in the bladder or in um, the bowels or whatever. And sometimes that can be coming from those muscles because they're being held so tight. At some point, generally with my clients with uh, chronic pelvic pain, I'm doing some type of internal exam um, that would be either intravaginal or intrarectal or both. Um, some people are surprised about that when I come in, when they come in to see me, particularly because I'm a physiotherapist and they don't think that physios do that. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so um, so I, I want to take a look at the pelvic floor uh, and we'll figure out what's going on there. We look at breath. We, like I said, we already look at movement and, and all kinds of different things tissue quality throughout the abdomen, um, the legs, glutes, you know, everywhere. I'm kind of interested in the whole body. Um, And the things that we, that I generally work with, I I do a lot of hands-on work to try and uh, decrease pain, decrease nervous system response, um, that kind of overactivity. Um, I'll give, I give a lot of homework. And so um, that's kind of what happens when you go to physio, you're like, Okay, now you go home and you start to take care of this. So you do some stretching. You might do some strengthening, depending on what we're looking at. There may be, um, I like to use some yoga poses that can be really helpful. Meditation, I know people have talked about that in past uh, podcasts here. Meditation and mindfulness, how we, that starts to calm the nervous system down. That's super important in the pelvic, uh, in pelvic health as well. We need to look at diet um, too, uh, as that pertains particularly to the bladder and bowel, but also because we want to be feeding our body with good things that can help us heal. Um, um, sometimes like other kinds of exercise that people enjoy. Um, and then also like it, there's a lot of knowledge sharing. And I, and I say knowledge sharing um, because I recognize that I'm not the expert in your body. Like You live in your body 24 hours a day. You're the expert. Um, And if you've been living with chronic pain for a long time, and I think there was some fellow who you interviewed earlier who was talking about how he had to really like educate his care providers um, on some conditions. Um, And like, yeah, like that, that happens to me sometimes, you know, somebody's coming in and they're telling me something I don't know about some new medication or some modality that they've tried that they found to be helpful or definitely not helpful or whatever. So, so I like to really kind of share what's happening. Um, We also, sometimes most of my uh, complex uh, clients come in from a referral from a physician. And so they are already getting some kind of medical management, but that might be all they're getting. Um, but sometimes, you know, I feel like it's important for these people to see um, somebody else, like maybe that would be um, somebody to help with their mental health, a counselor or a psychologist. Uh, um, we can also look at uh, dietary. So maybe you need to see a dietitian to kind of help you really um, uh, provide the best nutrients for your body to help you heal. Sometimes we're going back and I'm saying to the doctor, like, we need some extra help here. This person's pain isn't well managed. Maybe they need some injections. I don't know. You know, so there's um, uh, hopefully there's some collaboration um, that is happening with you, you know, with those of you who are listening on your healthcare journey. And I think in past episodes, you've really uh, people have really talked about the patience, that this is a long journey to to heal or improve from from chronic pain um, and that every kind of program is specific to the client. And I know this has been talked about in, in other episodes, but I think that that's uh, um, super important as well. For sure. This is so much good information. And I think I wish that everyone could see right now, because if you haven't actually seen like a photo or a model of a pelvic floor, I don't think you can understand just how complex and like how many different muscles are going on down there. So I am going to post a photo so that people can kind of get a visual of what we're talking about. If you've never seen a pelvic floor model, but also like the collaborative nature that you're speaking about, um, where, you know, patients are bringing you new information or you're working with other care providers to try to improve care. That's why this podcast is called 
partners in pain because we mm-hmm. want this to be a very collaborative process. And unfortunately, not everybody gets that experience. So this is just one of those reinforcing moments again, that if you go and you see someone and they're just not jiving with you, you can't communicate well, you're not feeling seen and heard. There are other people. So it sucks that you have to keep looking and keep seeking that, but there are always people that will be on your team and help advocate for you. So just keep looking and SAS pain can help with referrals for all that stuff. So just let us know. Right. Yeah. Great. So you've been in this area of treatment for a while now, and are there still things that are really surprising you when you're meeting new patients or even when you're working with other care providers, um, when you are trying to collaboratively help someone manage their pain? Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I guess like the first thing that I will say is that like, humility. Like, I feel like the more I know, the less I know, uh, gosh, like when I graduated from PT school, like I thought that like, I knew it all that I had the skills, um, to quote unquote, fix people, uh, which is like, like super arrogant. And I, but you know, like, I think as young people, and when we graduate, we're all like glossy eyed and we think we're like amazing. And anyway, um, so yeah, the fact that I thought I could fix somebody is insulting in the first place, but then also just, yeah, that I don't know very much. So I think that that's the first thing, um, that continues to, um, I continue to learn about that. Um, uh, also like, even though people come in with like a similar quote unquote diagnosis, our bodies are so complex, um, our nervous system, um, and we're learning so much about our, like how we experience in pain. Like people present so differently. They come in with, like I said, the same diagnosis and it's just like, well, you are like, this is what it's looking like for you. And then for another person, it looks a lot different. Um, and so that's always kind of a learning thing for me. Um, and then I guess finally, like I am not in any way, a pharmacist or like medically trained in terms of medications. That is something that I, it is something that I continue to strive to learn more and understand more. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always, you know, some, you know, I'll have a client come in and they're, they're on this new medication or, um, their physician had suggested this and I, and I don't understand uh, why, you know, so then I can get on the phone or maybe the client can tell me, but sometimes I get on the phone with the care provider and say, Hey, like, tell me about this. Cause I don't understand it. Um, just so I can be a better provider to um, to my clients. Yeah, that makes total sense. So as a care provider yourself, is there something you would like to say specifically to patients who maybe just started experiencing pelvic pain for the first time, or maybe they've received one of these scary new diagnoses, whether that's interstitial cystitis, painful bladder syndrome, vulvodynia, like there's so many different words that we don't even know what they mean, but I heard them all at this point, but maybe these patients are feeling overwhelmed and are unsure of where to start in terms of treatment, because you're doing so many different things when you work with a client, which is amazing, but like, where does somebody really start? What do we do? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, and I, I alluded to this earlier when I was talking about the international public pain society and kind of how they describe the public pain that, um, different systems are involved, right? And so if you have bladder problems and if you have bowel problems um, and pain, they're not three separate things. And so by tackling one thing, you're going to be tackling the other ones as well. So first of all, I hope people like think, okay, it's it shouldn't be as overwhelming as it is. 
um, because you know you, you can address those different systems um, all together at the same time. So that's one good thing, right? We're not having to go to see the bladder person for this and the bowel person for this and then the pain person for this. Um, there are things that like a person with pelvic pain can't control. Like, so say somebody is diagnosed with endometriosis, for example, we can't control the fact that there is tissue growing in parts of the body where it shouldn't be growing. Okay, we can't control that, but there's a lot that you can control. So um, you can, it's really important that you start with small, manageable goals. Um, and don't try and take on too much at once. Don't try and be perfect in all facets of your life because that is going to be overwhelming and you're not going to do anything at all because it'll be just too much information. So making little bite-sized changes at a time is, um, is super important that persistence. And I, and I, I, I seem to remember one of your other, um, uh, interviewees talking about being persistent and like, um, yeah, that's super important. Um, you're also like, you're human. Some days don't go as planned and that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. And don't, uh, don't beat yourself up. Don't shame yourself. Um, you are not a bad person and you are worthy of love and attention. And you have to kind of really believe that, uh, in your soul. So that's, um, I think there's a lot of people who just become like, there's just so many things I should look at and I don't know what to do. Um, but there is, it is important that if you have a condition that you need to become the expert on that condition and that takes commitment, um, and that takes persistence. Um, you need to question your providers. You just kind of alluded to that earlier. If you're not kind of jiving, uh, or whatever, like, um, you have to ask questions. You have to learn about stuff. Um, there's so much information out there, like in a Wi-Fi connection, right? Like you can learn so much nowadays. It's not like you have to go to the library and pull out the encyclopedia or go through all those research articles to learn. Like there's so much information that's out there. Um, and the other super important thing is don't rely on one person to provide all the answers, like your doctor or just your physio or whatever, right? Because we are also at like, as your care providers, we are also imperfect. And so we're doing our best, but it may not be um, what you need, or it may be incomplete or whatever. So um, just because your physician or your physiotherapist or your chiropractor says something, it doesn't mean it is exactly so. And make sure that you um, understand that and advocate on your own behalf. For sure. And like, as you're sharing all this, like, I'm just thinking in the context of my own chronic pain journey, it's two important things here. The first one is when you become so hyper-focused on trying to fix yourself and solve the problem and you're obsessing and you're learning about everything humanly possible that you are just down a wormhole. In my context, it was pelvic pain. I basically gave myself a gynecology degree trying to figure out what was wrong with me. That was probably one of the worst things I did to myself on the healing journey because it consumed my entire life. And so that's why it is so important to have a care provider that you can work with and talk with about ideas, but at the same time, just like trying to do your best every day. Each day is a new day, as you so perfectly said, and it doesn't have to be like this forever, but the more we go down the rabbit hole of obsessing, the worse you're going to feel and the more your pain is going to increase, which is really hard because you just want to get better so badly. But that's a learning lesson for everyone. People do get there. The second point I wanted to make 
I went and saw six pelvic floor physiotherapists. And I'll disclose this here. Juliet is actually my current pelvic floor physio, but I had to see so many people before I found her and found somebody who would really listen and advocate and look at the whole picture. So I know that it's completely exhausting going to all these appointments, resharing your story over and over and over a million times, but you can find people that totally match what you need. So again, that persistence just keep trying. It really sucks, but like totally worth it. If you can find the right person. Um, I, I actually, I should speak to like, your like going down the rap, the wormhole because yeah, you're right. Like I, here I am saying you need to learn. Um, but yeah, it can become overwhelming. And so, um, yeah, balanced, I guess, I don't know really <laughs> how else. No, to- but I agree. Like with the education, like if I hadn't done all the reading I had done for myself and like, everything I tried to do to like panically learn, I wouldn't have figured out what was actually wrong with me. And as you had said earlier, you are the expert on your body. So if one doctor says, oh, well, you have this, if you don't think you really have that, you probably have a better hunch than they do in that 10 minute consult. Right. So again, just there's a level of intuition and self-trust and just having to have open conversations with multiple people in order to get to that endpoint. So don't obsess but don't be lazy about learning either. Definitely balance there. There we are. Yeah. (laughs) How about to other healthcare providers? Is there anything you would like to say um, that you found useful or insightful just based on your own practice that may help improve someone else's care? Yeah, sure. So I think the thing with um, my pain clients um, that I see more often than not, and this is reported in the literature, like this is not new information, but it takes an awful long time for people with pelvic pain often to get referred to a physiotherapist. Um, And so to um, the family physicians who are listening, for example, or, you know, if you are going in to see your family's physician about your pain um, to, but just to say, like, if somebody's in your, in your office with pelvic pain, refer to a pelvic health physiotherapist. You don't, it doesn't have to be a linear referral of like referring to the specialist, rule out pathology, then to a physio. You can do the both things at the same time. Sometimes it takes a really long time for a person to get in to see a specialist. And so they're sitting at home and they're stewing and they have no action plan and their pain is getting worse and they're scared and they're frustrated and all the things. And really, it doesn't normally take that long to get in to see a pelvic health physio. So how about you refer to the gynecologist or refer to the urologist? and refer to the pelvic health physio. And so then that's actually even going to make the appointment with the specialist even more valuable because now this person has been working on this journey. They've figured out some things that work and don't work and all the things. So when they have that, finally have that specialist appointment, they're going to be in a better place to share information. um, And they're hopefully going to feel uh, not so frustrated because they've been working on an action plan between now and then. So I think that's, um, kind of one of the really big things. Um, the other thing that, uh, and this is uh, like a quick aside, but like if you have, or if your patient or whatever has severe pelvic pain with their periods, that's a referral. Like a person shouldn't have to experience, uh, you know, any person shouldn't have to re- experience severe pain with their periods. And that's really normalized. And it's, it, um, it's a disservice to 
um, those young women uh, and girls who are experiencing that because now we're sensitizing their system as well. They think this is normal. They're um, and uh, and then now other pain experiences might be worse, and we might be setting up them up for mental health problems because they're, you know, they're going crazy with this, and no one is telling them that this is a problem. So do them a service and refer those on, um, because we also know that if men experienced um, that kind of pain on a regular basis, like the alarm bells would be going off, and people would be sending them for all kinds of consults and tests and all that kind of thing. So. Um, I think this is an area where um, uh, women are not getting necessarily the care that they uh, that they need. Um, so that's one other thing. Oh, yeah. And then the final thing is um, and I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but if men have pelvic pain, it's likely not the prostate. It might be the prostate, but most of the time it's not. So again, please refer that person to a pelvic health physio at the same time that you're referring them to the urologist. And this is really new information. Like I actually heard a doctor say at one point, men don't have pelvic floors, which is um, completely inaccurate. Men do have pelvic floors. They just don't have a vaginal opening in the pelvic floor. That is it. They have a pelvic floor. So they can have problems as well with their pelvic floor. And so um, please do your male patients a service and, and send them along as well. So those are my, um, those are the things. And I, and it's not because I, uh, like people, we're all doing our best to learn and to treat our patients the best that we can. Um, but this is a story that I hear consistently and, um, uh, which is unfortunate because people are suffering for longer than they need to possibly. For sure. And you make so many good points there. And this is not to be negative in any way, but the fact is that women's and like gender marginalized groups, health and wellness has historically not been given the same amount of attention as men. And we know this because there's not as many studies in the literature when you're looking at the research and looking at all the studies that have been done. And that is just the reality of the situation. So men not having pelvic floors or women having incredibly painful periods, those, yeah, as you said, they're not normal things and just happy to report here. I don't have painful periods anymore since I started going to pelvic floor physio. So if you are one of those people, go and get an assessment because you are going to learn so much. You might have improvements in so many other ways that you didn't even realize you had issues. So it's just a matter of, you know, putting pelvic floor physio into your toolbox is just one other resource that you can be in control of and learn more about that. Maybe a doctor can't help you with specifically. Right. Yeah. We're nearing the end here, but as frequent listeners know, I am not very shy about sharing my own pain experiences. And Juliet really helped me with a hypertonic pelvic floor, meaning that I was constantly kind of stress clenching my pelvic muscles. So when you hear things like women doing Kegels, as we already mentioned, um, to strengthen their pelvic floor, I was basically doing that 24 seven but I needed to learn to do the opposite. I needed to learn to relax that area and connect with my diaphragm and my breathing to better coordinate those muscles and just better relax overall. And that was so important in helping my own pain. But also with this, I have had two pelvic surgeries and Juliet really helped me both with preparation and aftercare for both of those. Because when, for example, my appendix came out, I was having tons of issues with uh, pain around my incisions. I was having all the scar tissue that I couldn't mobilize. And she really got me 
back into shape within a couple of weeks, which I don't think would have happened as easily if I was trying to do that on my own. And so really, I know a lot of people don't think of it in this way, but a physiotherapist can really be basically like your primary care provider when you're dealing with pain. And I know Andrew in one of our previous episodes, he felt the same way about um, Adrian Van Gool on the podcast that he shared with us. So I'm not trying to get emotional here, but thank you, Juliet, for like being here and helping me. And I hope others can be as lucky in finding a care provider who will help educate and advocate and support like you have done for me. But the point I'm wanting to share um, to bring this back full circle is that we have had a lot of conversations in our own sessions about things that need to change and how we're approaching pain. And one of those things is really the idea of fear, whether that's fear of pain, fear of movement, um, fear of unfamiliar sensations, and learning to make new positive associations in the body with sensations that may feel like really unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And, you know, I never thought as someone who was previously, um, I've had some really traumatizing healthcare experiences where I didn't give consent to certain activities or examinations. And I never thought I would be able to get to a point where I could go to a pelvic floor physio and get like an internal massage. Like that sounds crazy, but when you have a care provider who you trust and that you work with and build a relationship with, it becomes so crucial to your own healing. And here I am two years later now. So I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to this idea of exposure therapy or ways that we can make approaches to desensitize some of the maybe scary physical sensations that we're having in the body? That's a really good question. I guess, first of all, I just want to say, well, it's been a pleasure working with you and um, you're an inspiration with your energy and your dedication to your care. So, um, uh, so kudos for that. And, um, but to your question, um, so if we think about, uh, you know, we talked about way back at the beginning, what pain is about and how, context and previous experience can really mediate our pain response, right? So we talked about that idea of, have I had this before? And, uh, you know, what is the context around that? And so if there's been a lot of trauma, a lot of pain in the past with a certain movement or a certain touch, uh, we have to build new pathways to, to change that. And so, uh, you know, say somebody who, uh, you know, I've got uh, a client who is having um, lots of pain with sex, for example, uh, what I we might start doing is have her even just place her hand, uh, like, depending on how sensitive she is, maybe she's just placing her hand through her, like on top of her pants and underwear onto her vulva, for example. So that would be a way to just kind of like, okay, this is safe and doing that and building um, like in your brain that your brain knows that this is a safe and okay thing to do. And then you might do it with the underwear off and do the same thing, just touching. And then maybe you might, um, but building and repeating that and repeating that and repeating that so that um, your brain says, this is safe. This is okay. I don't need to protect you here. Uh, and then we might move to in like placing the finger at the vaginal opening, um, and then, you know, progressing from there. So, um, we really need to work uh, and understand how the brain works. Sometimes you even go back to just imagining for somebody who's super scared of something, 
like a certain movement, like say somebody who's got chronic back pain and they're afraid of bending over, uh, maybe you just have them start to imagine them bending over and tying their shoes in a pain-free manner. Like it can be like that kind of stuff can even change our brain. And then you start watching pictures or like watching people bend over and tie their shoes. And then you move on to, okay, well, let's have you lie on your back and bring your knees to your chest. So it's kind of the same movement, but not as scary, right? Because your back is supported or whatever. Like, so what we want to do is we want your brain to have successful experiences so that it understands that it doesn't have to protect you and give you that pain response. So, and that's a, so it's called grad, a graded exposure therapy is kind of the term, um, but there's, or desensitization, that's another way to do it. Um, but it's just slowly calming the nervous system down. I don't have to protect you as much. It's safe. And we have to do a lot of self-talk at the same time, right? Uh, Cause if I'm like touching my vulva through my pants, but the whole time I'm going, this is bad. Like I shouldn't be doing this. Like then of course, you know, if that's what you're thinking in your brain, that's not going to be helpful. So you have to have the positive um, uh, messages going on in your brain at the same time. So I don't know if that's helpful. Like if that kind of touches on what you wanted us to, to touch on. I think it does. Absolutely. Because if we think about, you know, the way in which we approach certain activities if somebody is scared or if somebody is really anxious and maybe they're catastrophizing a little bit about, well, what if this happens? Like I can't go for a walk. I can't walk my dog because my back hurts. And then what if I tweak my back when I'm picking up my child? Like those are the thought presses that are happening. So visualization specifically, which you mentioned is such a powerful tool. And there are so many resources online about the power of visualization in overcoming chronic pain, as well as just really pushing yourself to try new experiences and make those positive associations. So, I, and this applies to all types of chronic pain, not just in the context of pelvic health. So Absolutely. That answers the question. Is there anything else you would like to say or mention as we wrap up here? Uh, okay. Well, I have two things. One is more just kind of broad for any listener here. I think, um, I think we need to think about health overall as back to the car analogy. I don't even like, I don't even actually really care about cars that much. I, I don't know why I'm perseverating on cars today, but anyway, um, so health is kind of like a car. So when you buy a new car, like you do very little maintenance on it, you just drive it and you like speed, you know, you're going down the highway at like 150 clicks an hour, like whatever. It's like all awesome. Um, and you take it in for maintenance or maybe you don't, right. Cause it's brand new. And as our bodies age, we have to kind of think about that car analogy. And, you know, if you think about a vintage car, a vintage car needs a lot more care and attention. You like keep it in the garage and then you take it out for little drives around the neighborhood to make sure that the engine is staying good. So we have to like take care of our bodies more as we get older. So that's just kind of a general thing that I think that, um, you know, people will say, well, I didn't have to do this when I was 20. And it's like, well, you're not 20 anymore. Like, what are you, what are you even thinking? Um, so anyway, so just remember that, um, just kind of overall, and then specifically to those with uh, persistent pain, I really want you to know that there is hope, um, and you can improve. Can you be pain-free? I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know anything about that, but you can improve, but it does require work. And I just think that, most things that are really worth achieving in life require work and, um, and you know, you on your healing journey is also that it's worth achieving, but it, it's going to take some work. Super strong final words. I love that. And hope has been such an important thread through all of our different podcast episodes. So thank you for sending us off on such a strong, positive note. 
But as always, this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast. So Juliet, would you be willing to tell us about one of your favorite things about living in Saskatchewan or just anything you love? Give us some Saskatchewan love right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, of course, with COVID, I've been like all around Saskatchewan these last couple of years because I haven't been doing a ton of traveling. Um, and so there's lots of beautiful places. Um, and yeah, like up north in the, you know, canoeing, you know, in the, yeah, the fort, like that's awesome. But the thing that I really... Um, love on a day-to-day basis. And I'm really grateful. Uh, well, I kind of plan my life this way as well, but I'm really grateful for where I live, which is in, um, uh, right by the river in Saskatoon. And so I have two dogs. I am out on the riverbank very, very, very often. And like, I love being by the water. I love the little trails. Um, in the winter, it is so beautiful when um, the trees are bare and they're laden with snow and there's that black and white contrast and there's no one out because it's so cold. Like that just like fills my cup. I can like see that perfect visual right now. So if you are somebody who's in Saskatoon, well, there, obviously there's lots of rivers in and around Saskatchewan, but if you can get yourself out of bed, put on some warm clothes, it's about minus 25 today while we're recording. Just go and take that nice walk, connect with nature. It's super good for you. And yeah, we are very lucky to be in Saskatchewan and to have amazing care providers like Juliet Sargent. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today and providing us with so much insight and education. Well, it's been super fun. Thank you for speaking with me. Not mentioned in the podcast is that Juliet currently practices out of her business, Prairie Pelvic Health which you can find both on Instagram and Facebook under the same name. And I will provide links and contact information in the show notes for that. Additionally, there are dozens of pelvic floor physiotherapists working in the province that you can call to inquire about treatment services. And we do encourage you to visit the saskpain.ca website for other available resources in the community, such as our Partners in Pain webinar series focused on pain education, which you can attend for free from the comfort of your own home. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SASPain or visit our official website, www dot saskpain.ca